Hello, my name's Mike. I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church online. We're going to be looking at John 15 and we're going to be looking at Matthew 28. And so the first thing I'm going to do is read both of those passages to you. I'm going to start with uh, John 15, um, which is just over here. I'm using um, the NIV to read uh, and we're starting at verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love, your, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. I'm just going to flick straight across to Matthew 28. I'm going to read those last five verses, which will be so familiar to many of us. So Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, we put ourselves in your hands and ask for your Holy Spirit. These words which Jesus has spoken are precious to us simply because Jesus said them. And now we ask that you uh, shine new light on them by your Spirit. That we might have fresh understanding, that our assumptions may be challenged and that our love for you might grow. So be with us as we look at these verses. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is to talk briefly about uh, the title of this talk, which is uh, What Business Are You In? Uh, or something very much like that. So I wanted to, to just give a sense of what it means to, to, to answer that question by looking at my own experience. So um, the first job, the first paid job I did was on a farm just to the north of Norwich. And the job I had was to pick apples or, or rather to thin apples. So I, I went down a big long row of trees and then back up the next row and back down the next row, taking away apples from the little clumps. Now this wasn't in September where the apples might be picked. This was a lot earlier than that, this was sort of June, July. And the idea was that you identified which apples, which fruit was starting to look stronger and then you took away the ones that weren't the stronger ones so that you might have a clump of five or six apples uh, on 
uh, in that clump, but you knew that really the tree could only give its best energy to two or three of them. So you take the others away so that the stronger ones had the best chance. Now you could say the job I was doing was picking apples, but you could say the business I was in was nurturing trees or helping the strongest apples uh, fulfill their potential. Can you see the difference between the task you do and the business that you're in? I was thinking about teachers. The task they do is lesson planning and marking. And many other things, too, but let's just keep it simple. But the business they're in is to do with educating and uh, teaching skills that are going to help those young people become adults who can learn in different ways. I'm aware that our curriculum structure in this country doesn't always give the biggest priority to those things, but there is a difference between the task and the business. Now, I've never been a teacher, but I have been a journalist. And you could say as a journalist, that the tasks that you do, the job that you do is about filling column inches um, or providing output that's going to mean people buy newspapers so that the, the company makes money. And that's, you know, there's certainly truth in those things. But the business I was in as a journalist was telling stories, sometimes stories that were heartwarming, some funny, some that were sad and some that were just informative, you know, that, that told people things that they probably needed to know, even if they didn't realise beforehand that they needed to know them. So the tasks you do and the business you are in are not the same thing. And part of what I want to look at, a big part of what I want to look at uh, with these two passages is the business that we're in as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as his apprentices seeking to become like him. So what business are we in? Well, I think that these two passages leave us with very little room for, for wriggle. I think that the Matthew 28 passage particularly tells us and it's echoed in in other places too so sometimes you might think well the great commission's all very well and good that's what um, very often um, those verses are known as in Matthew uh, the great commission's all very well and good but it's only in one gospel but this isn't quite true so Mark 20 John 16 Luke 24 and Acts 1 all have similar expressions from Jesus towards the end at, at the end of his ministry and he's saying as you go out there as you go around the world um, or even just as you go around your own city, um, I, I want you to be making disciples. Now, we need to be aware, I think, that uh, you, making disciples is something you can't do unless you are one. I think if we try to make disciples who aren't like us, we don't really know what they're aiming for because we don't have any experience of it. And in that respect, it's really important that we make sure that we mark the line between making disciples and making converts. Lots of people, whether disciples or not, can make converts. If you can persuade somebody that, that um, trusting Jesus is a good idea, then you can make a convert. But making a disciple means something deeper. I have, over the course of um, coronavirus change and lockdown circumstances, I have spent a lot more time uh, at the cricket club where my son plays. And they've got to know me. Now, they don't know me brilliantly well because I haven't been there for ages, but they do know me a bit. And one of the things they know about me is that I'm the minister of a church. I'm a, I'm a pastor. 
And one of the things that's come from that is that when there's a risk of rain or when there is actually rain falling and there should be a match on, I sometimes get asked if I will pray. Now, in a way, this is a very simple way of engaging with me being a pastor. But it is an engagement. And it might be that at some point down the line, somebody who's asked me to pray for the weather starts to think about you know, whether all this God stuff is, is real or not, or what it means to trust Jesus or, or to find out a bit more of what he said. And under those circumstances, having known somebody who prayed could be quite a helpful place to have started. Me being a disciple is part of what makes a difference to the people around me. Making converts is a different thing. And if you look back at what Jesus is saying in Matthew, he's not asking us to make converts. He's asking us to make disciples. And we can't do that without being them. So if disciples are in the business of making more disciples, in a way, we can't be disciples without making disciples because that's what the Great Commission tells us that Jesus said disciples were for. If, we get, if disciples are going to make disciples, then churches need to follow that priority too. So churches make disciples, not in the same way that factories make engines um, or jammy dodgers or whatever else it might be that factories make. But, the, but there is something that's being made here a bit more like uh, a school will make a, a student or, um, uh, or a counsellor might make um, a, a more whole person by helping them through depression like I experienced. Can you see how it's possible to make something without it being a production line thing? And Jesus is saying, make disciples, not not by manufacturing them, not by just persuading them to agree with something, but to actually uh, walk with them on a journey that changes the way you see the world, that changes the way you make decisions, that changes the way priorities are kept. Because to be a disciple is to be like Jesus, is to be an apprentice to a master. Now, you might think, how can we make disciples when we're not the master? Fair point. We don't want people to be living uh, more like us than like Jesus. So there is a, a correct challenge in that. But remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, in more than one place, urges the churches that he's planted to imitate him. Not because he thinks he is Jesus, but because he is determined to follow Jesus' lead. He's determined to be a disciple who um, echoes the priorities of Jesus, that, that seeks to learn about Jesus, that, that wants Jesus to always be moulding him to be more, more like Jesus, more like see the world the way the Father does. So if... If the if the priority of the church is not to make converts, which has happened plenty, uh, but to make disciples, then we need to we need to be disciples, and we also need to prioritise as a church what growing as disciples is about. There's a, a, a making disciples is about a, a maturity and a shared sense of purpose. Now this is this is tricky. It's tricky because the minute you start talking about this, there's the risk that you downplay the significance, the importance, the, the, the imperative of sharing 
the good news of, of uh, as Paul says, giving an answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have. Lots of good work has been done by people who are uh, out and about in their community and determined to share the good news of what it means to hope and trust in Jesus, to love him and be loved by him. And the last thing I want to do is suggest that evangelism, which is a broad term for that, that evangelism is unimportant. I don't think that at all. I think evangelism is crucial. But I also think that if we evangelise without being disciples, then we are uh, attracting people towards us, but not providing them anything to hold on to. Um, we we invite them to come nearer to us because we know Jesus, but we don't give them anything to put their roots into. That's problematic, I think. And so we need to recognise that effective evangelism, effective sharing of the good news of Jesus doesn't come from having a great argument, although it's really important that we're able to um, to speak intelligently and in an informed way about the issues that the world wants to bring to the church. Um, so evangelism is, is crucial, but for evangelism to be the best it can be, it needs to be about disciples making more disciples. It needs to be about the quality of who we are. If you like, it, it needs to be about saying, what do we do with what do we do to, to build something with those we know rather than just how many more people can we know? And, and then kind of hoping that somehow magically knowing more people means that more people get to trust Jesus. So I think that also in the middle of all that, it's also important to say that we need to recognise what being a disciple actually means. And I think there are a couple of things to be really careful of. And again, I want to be cautious about how I talk about this. It is so important that we know our Bibles, that we recognise the wonder that is God choosing to reveal himself through this created library uh, of, of written word. Um, it's, a, it's a phenomenal grace exercise in, in humility for God to reveal himself uh, with words on paper. But the Bible, knowing the Bible itself, doesn't mature us as disciples. It's an essential component in that. We, we can't expect to know God better and better without knowing all of what he's expressed and revealed of himself through the Bible. So the Bible is not an optional extra. It is a key, central component of being a disciple. But simply accumulating knowledge about the Bible doesn't make you uh, a mature disciple. And similarly, going to as many prayer meetings as you possibly can doesn't make you a mature disciple either. However, prayer on your own and with others is a key part of being a disciple. It's just that Attendance at prayer meetings doesn't make you a disciple, doesn't strengthen you as a disciple. Quite apart from anything else, if if a Christian gives their time and attention to reading the Bible and going to prayer meetings, both of which are really good and, and turning up on a Sunday to a service, all three of which are really good. And I would say all three are essential. But if they bubble themselves in that, if they isolate themselves to just that, then they aren't making disciples. 
because they've placed themselves in a, well, almost a kind of ghetto environment where the only things that are in their world are um, are part of a closed community, a closed community of those who call themselves Christian. And, and that's not an option for us. Jesus says um, in, in Matthew 28, as you go, make disciples of all um, nations. Ethnos is the word, so it's people groups. Um, it's the word that gives us ethnicity. So it's, it's all cultures, all races, all skin colours, all levels of literacy, all, you know, homeless or, or homeowner or whatever else in between. All people groups um, should be approached as um, potentially disciples who, who, get, who would also get to know and trust Jesus. But you'll notice as well that in that Matthew passage, Jesus says um, two things about what it means to make disciples. One is to baptise them. There are all kinds of things we can get into about what baptism signifies, why it's important, what happens in it. We're not going to get sidetracked by those just now, but there is that um, there is that moment of physical declaration. You're in a place doing a thing and that says something about your commitment to Jesus and your desire to be a disciple. The second thing is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So from Jesus' point of view, being a disciple is absolutely woven, woven in with a knowledge and an obedience. And it's with that in mind, I want to just pop back into John. John 15 verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Now, this obedience, and I'd say this from the point of view of both the Matthew and the John passages, the obedience isn't about saying, I'm not going to think for myself anymore. I'm just going to do what I'm told to do. Not at all. It's about saying, and Jesus describes it, he obeys his father's commands. And, and then a few verses later, um, Jesus says, you're not servants anymore, you're friends, because you've been introduced to the concepts behind why obedience is important. You understand what the community is supposed to be about, a community of, of, of Jesus, community of, of the Father's love, a um, community that started with God's intention, as we see in the Old Testament, to bring his people back to a place where they get to share his presence without inhibition, without um, qualification, just they get to be with him. That's what the original Sabbath concept was about. We look in Genesis uh, 1 and in Leviticus for that. So Jesus says, um, look, you, you've got a relationship with the Father. Um, I've invited you to have this relationship. But he says, you, you, you didn't um, choose me, I chose you. So I've invited you into this. I've told you what it's all about. So you're not just people who are doing as they're told. You're part of the family. So you have a place with, with how this works. You have a, an understanding about why we're going the direction that we're going. And he also says to them that, crucially, that a, a mark of being a disciple, aside from the obedience, is the love. You've received my love, he says, and I want you to give love as freely as you have received it or as freely as Jesus gave it himself. That does, of course, mean 
in some circumstances, making the tough choice to make space for people, even when they have let us down, even when they don't make the choices that we wish they would make. Because love isn't dependent on people behaving how we hope they will. Anyway, Jesus also says um, about joy. So he's expecting disciples to be people who have joy and he's expecting disciples to be people who uh, bear fruit, fruit that will last. So I, th I think when Jesus talks about that in, in verse 16 of John 15, he's talking about this making disciples thing. If you make disciples, those disciples will be those who will last, who will have uh, that kind of unbroken relationship with the father that goes beyond you know how many years and just becomes that kind of unbroken uninhibited presence uh, of god and and enjoying in that and sharing in that very much what jesus has in mind when he talks earlier in john about life in all its fullness and he's talking about fullness of joy here too so there is no way in which we can substitute any kind of evangelistic behavior for the process of being and making disciples and if that's what we're about then that's what the church has to strive to do when i say strive i'm not so much thinking about how much we might give a load of energy to something so much that we burn ourselves out doing it but that it becomes the kind of repeated pattern of priority that's the thing we're always looking to do to be and make disciples now if that's the case then churches need to be set up to be disciples and make disciples. And then you start needing to ask questions about what kind of um, priorities will go into how discipleship happens. Ken Benjamin, former president of the BU and, and a guy whose output we've looked at before, uh, gave a message recently through Fieldcast. Um, if you've not come across Fieldcast, it's a little bite-sized uh, bits of, of teaching and Christian creativity. Uh, it comes out um, Monday, Wednesday and Friday each week. And I've had the privilege of being involved with it. But Ken says, uh, says this, we're part of a church community and we gather for two things. One is glorification and the other is edification. Glorification means that when we gather, we're looking to celebrate who God is, who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. And we look to to praise them only as much as they're worth praising which is a lot um, so we give glory to god the other thing is edification and that's to do with encouraging each other that's to do with finding ways to build each other up and support and encourage and that means helping each other to grow as well now that also means that when we go to church and when we, when we take an active participating part in a church community like like we do as partners uh, many of us at watch at baptist church then when we go to church we're going for three we're going for god we're going to, to give glory to him we're going for ourselves so that we might be um, built up and encouraged we're also going for others and at watch at baptist church as partners one of the things that we do every year is make that covenant make that commitment to each other and a key element of that is where we promise to disciple one another we recognize that uh, we you can't be a disciple of jesus on a solo basis i think it was um wesley who said the bible knows nothing of solitary religion it knows the community of disciples so you're going to give 
to, you know, when we when we go to be part of a, of, of a Jesus community, a church, we go to give, but we also go to receive. You, you go to say, how can I support others? But you also go to say, how can they instruct and encourage me? If we get to the point where we say, well, you know, all my spiritual development is, uh, is something I can look after by myself, then we're giving a lie to what Jesus calls his disciples to do. I think it would be daft to think that those original 12, or the 11 of them that continued with Messiah, that they did their growing without each other, that they all scattered and went their separate ways at the end of the day with Jesus so they could be by themselves in order to grow. They absolutely would have required each other. And when Paul went and planted churches, and Peter and James and, and others, they planted them as communities of disciples, not as one disciple who can go and, and, and make sure the others are okay, or as you know a disciple who's going to go and and tell us what to do but there's a community indeed the the part of the very essence of what makes baptist churches different from each other stems from this exact thing and we are strengthened by each other and we need to be able to say how can others benefit from our discipleship if we keep our discipleship to ourselves there is ever so much vulnerability in being a disciple i'm not going to lie to you it's hard because for many of us being fully vulnerable about our, our flaws and failings is something we don't want to do. We don't want somebody to look at us and think, well, they can't be a proper Christian then, or I can't talk to you anymore because you do this or say this. And so vulnerability is, is hard, but it is also important. I remember talking to another minister not so long ago who said, um, you know, of, of decades standing, who said, uh, as we talked about personal devotion time, he said, I've never got the hang of... Um, of getting in the habit of doing a quiet time every day. So I, I go through phases where it goes really well, but I've never managed to keep it up. And, and I'm forever trying different techniques that will help me reconnect. And I thought, what a relief, because I have a similar experience. I, I do um, long phases where things go really well and my journal is, is busy and full, when I find books that are helpful and, and ways of reading the Bible that really work. And then there'll be a... a, a a period where it doesn't seem to happen and I can look back and go oh, it's been some days uh, and even sometimes a couple of weeks or, or longer since I've properly sat down and spent time with Jesus there you go how vulnerable do I feel um so that vulnerability isn't easy and we need to do what we can to help each other feel that that we have people around us who are going to um, support us rather than condemn us We cannot isolate ourselves from the world and be disciples because we can't be disciples without making disciples and we can't make disciples without meeting people. If we're going to be a, a church of effective disciples, we need to be aware of what, by, what churches are for and they're there for being and making disciples. There is an output. It's not a mechanical thing, but there is an output. There is a, uh, something that churches produce and that is disciples so from my point of view and i just want to see if i can land this over the next couple of minutes from my point of view we really need to be able to say um, we're a community of disciples and we will do whatever it takes to prioritize discipleship to create an environment for discipleship to be there for one another so that we might grow and become mature as disciples 
And that means that vulnerability and it means the honesty and it means being able to say, what business am I in? I'm in the business of being and making disciples. It means not substituting knowledge for maturity. It means not substituting isolation for maturity. It means stopping trying to score points uh, with God or with others in the church by doing things that we think make ourselves look good, but only focusing on being and making disciples. And it means an honest acceptance that to be a disciple means to obey what Jesus commands. And so to help each other do that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to encourage others to be taught your commands. Help us to do that by being teachable. Lord, help us to um, show others what it means to submit to authority by being willing to submit to authority ourselves. Lord, help us to bring wisdom and to accept accountability so that we might mature into the kind of disciples that you call us to be. And would you give us courage to be vulnerable, knowing that the only person whose opinion really matters is yours. And in all these things, would you provide your spirit to guide and comfort us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask three questions that come from uh, the teaching that we've just been looking at. The first one is this. What maturity are you wanting to develop in your spiritual life? What part of your spiritual life do you really wish was a little bit more switched on or a little bit more grown up? Have a think, reflect on what that is for you and write it down and use it as a prompt for prayer. If you're with other people right now and you feel a bit brave, it may well be worth sharing that or, or at least some part of it with the group around you because they can't help you to grow unless they know what you're looking to prioritise. OK, question two. This is to do with environment. What environment would help you in your growth in maturity as a disciple? What things are going to make you, prompt you, trigger you to grow? What's going to inspire you? And if that's a thing that somebody else might do, or if it's, a, if it's just completely to do with the atmosphere that's around you, or to do with the kind of acceptance that, that you're looking for, then identify that. And it doesn't just have to be one thing. It can be more than one. But think about the, the things that, that help you by creating the right environment for your growth. And then write it down and use it as a prompt to pray. Say to God, this is what I think I need to grow. Would you provide it for me? And if, Lord Jesus, there's something else that you think I need, then bring me that as well or instead. OK, question three. Who are the people around you who know that you follow Jesus? And how might you pray for your relationship with them? 
as we think about what it is to be and make disciples, part of what we need to be aware of is that we make disciples not just by telling people why they should know Jesus. Sometimes it's best not to try that tack at all. Sometimes it really works. But it's more in this instance, it's more about saying, who um, kind of person am I going to be that's going to help me build that bridge? How am I going to help build trust between me and them? That means that when I talk about Jesus, they feel at ease with me talking because they trust me. How can I grow those relationships? Is it by spending more time with them? Is it by you know going out for a cup of tea or, or something? Is it by inviting to my home for dinner? Uh, is it something else? Could I, could I join the cricket team they're part of or if I like cricket or you know, whatever it might be? Ask yourselves that kind of question. And then again, use it as a prompt for prayer.
to believe For every voice to cry out But like a fire Sake of the world, burn like a fire in 